And now, it's time for the biggest bonanza in podcasting. With Dominic Stern and Nicholas Hodell, this is the College Basketball Bonanza! Uh, sit back and relax, everyone. This is the College Basketball Bonanza. I'm Nicholas Hodell. Dominic Stern is alongside me. The Baylor Bears, national champions, and while the playing part of this season has come to an end, there's still a lot of things to go over today here, Dom. Yeah, no, it's crazy. The transfer portal is nuts. I mean, if you've listened to any of our past couple episodes, you know, we've talked about the games and the tournaments. Of course, that's what's most important, but we're also giving coverage of the transfer portal and the coaching carousel, which uh, I don't I don't know if a lot of shows are doing that, but it's important stuff. And uh, we've kept everyone up to date while also talking about what's important in Today's episode is mostly going to be focused towards that, to my understanding. Yeah, and of course, we need to talk about the Final Four and what was probably one of the uh, crazier Final Four and sort of game results I can remember for quite a while. Of course, Baylor yeah. National Champions, two dominating victories against Baylor, uh, Houston, I should say, and Gonzaga. Boy, we didn't, I, didn't, I didn't see that domination coming in the, in the championship or the Final Four, for that matter. Didn't see that one coming. No, I mean... In the, in, in the final four game against Houston, I said the only way Houston was going to win was if they rebounded like crazy, and they frankly did not do that. They got dominated on the glass by Baylor, and we knew that they weren't a good shooting team and that when they didn't shoot the ball well, they were going to get crushed. And they only got 14 offensive rebounds in this game. That's just not enough against Baylor. No, it really isn't. And- Real and, and Gonzaga had the same problem against Bader. Bader was just dominating rebounds. There's something I noticed early on that national championship game. And quite frankly, all it took for me to, to send the tweet that I thought that game was over was 10 minutes. After 10 minutes, I'm like, that's it. It's over. It's like Bader was just that dominant, and they were not letting go uh, of that national championship game whatsoever. But Gonzaga this year, obviously the one loss, they're not going to be undefeated. They're not going to be national champions. But what a year for this Gonzaga Bulldog team. Jalen Suggs will have a, a memory for the rest of his life in that buzzer beater against UCLA. This, this Gonzaga team, it's unfortunate for the program because they are going to continue to get ridiculed by the Triddle Trolls who are uneducated and just simply don't know anything. This is a really good Gonzaga team that, quite frankly, got completely outplayed by a team that, quite frankly, was just as good, if not better than them. A great year for Gonzaga, and it's really a shame for that program because all the Twitter trolls are going to be on their case for at least one more year and probably going forward. Is I think that was Gonzaga's best shot for a national championship. Yeah, no, it, it definitely was their best shot because, I mean, what, it, what the big story surrounding the season has been the Blue Buds. They weren't there. Duke wasn't that good. Well, wasn't good. UNC wasn't that good. Kentucky, they frankly sucked. Louisville wasn't that good. Michigan State wasn't that good. Sure, I'm missing a couple other, but they just weren't as good this year. And freaking Zagat, those are the teams that have given them trouble in the past in the tournament, and they didn't have to face them, and they still couldn't get it done. Yeah, and and of course, it's definitely going to be something to where Gonzaga, the team probably will not be remembered as much. Um, quite frankly, if, if they are going to win the national, if they are going to be remembered, if they had to win the national championship and get the undefeated season complete. But it's still, 
does not take away from what that team accomplished. The not from the non-conference slate, they were incredible. Through conference play, you could say all you want about the West Coast Conference. Gonzaga completely dominated there. The West Coast Conference Tournament Championship provided a glimmer of hope that maybe Gonzaga could take that punch and just continue rolling on through. They rolled to the NCAA tournament. Uh, but when it came down to it in the Final Four, they had all kinds of troubles. And, I mean, if we want to put UCLA in, in that blue blood consideration, then you're right. Those are exactly the type of teams that Gonzaga had trouble with. And UCLA gave Gonzaga all kinds of fits. Uh, and Gonzaga barely got through them. But my, my biggest worry for Gonzaga heading in was how emotionally in it were they? They needed a wake-up call, and by that time, it was too late. Way too late. It's just one of those deals to where you got to give credit where credit is due. Baylor played a much better game than Gonzaga. With, on, on the Baylor front, again, where does Baylor rank among champions in this millennium? Because I think that Baylor was def- is definitely one of the better champions that college basketball has had in, in really quite some time, to be quite frank. Right. I mean, they beat the Gonzaga team. I personally feel like this Gonzaga team was better than the Kentucky team better than some of the other champions we've seen. So Baylor deserves a lot of credit for that. Now, I mean, I don't know how they stack up against the Villanova team in 18. I think this team would definitely beat the Virginia team in 19. In 17, that UNC that UNC team would be fascinating to watch because they were a big team. They would have definitely beat the Villanova team in 16. In 15, they probably would have beat the Duke team. But that would have been a really good matchup, though. They're right up there with all the good programs. I I think that I truly believe that. And I had Baylor at one in my power rankings for a little bit this year. I had them in front of Gonzaga. And then they looked terrible coming out of their COVID pause. And I I lost faith in them. I shouldn't have never done that. I was wrong. But this team was phenomenal. ton of fun to watch. But you also felt like they were a really good group of guys. And, I mean, I I feel like that's the same thing for Gonzaga, too. Really, UCLA and Houston. Uh, for that matter, but uh, it, it sucks for those guys. But Baylor, great team. They deserved it. They they were right there with Gonzaga all year. And I I I kind of want to speak to the point about Gonzaga and like people saying that they need to get out of the West Coast Conference. And I did not pick Gonzaga to win my bracket. I was in the minority in doing so. And the reason for that was because Gonzaga, they did not have a five game stretch all year where they played five tournament teams. Uh, the, the best was their four, and one of them was against Auburn. Kansas, Auburn, West Virginia, Iowa to start the season. When yeah, you go to the tournament, you got to play those five teams after you're the one seed because they're going to roll over Norfolk State because that's one of the worst teams, the second worst team, or not the second, but one of the worst teams they played all year. So when they play Oklahoma, Korean, USC, and then UCLA, that's a stretch that they've had this year. But when you look at a team like Baylor, I mean, it's like looking through their schedule. They, they, they played several quality opponents in a row multiple times this year that Gonzaga didn't have. And it's hard to say if Gonzaga will ever do it because, like you said, this was their best shot. And I agree. I, I just don't know if they'll ever get it done playing the West Coast Conference because they aren't as battle-tested. They haven't played those games of five stretches where they just go bam, punch, 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 punch and win those games. They haven't had to do that. They, they never will in the West Coast Conference. And I, I don't say they need to, but I think it's definitely worth having a discussion because Gonzaga is really good. There's no denying that. And the people who say they aren't good and they don't win a national championship because they play in the West Coast Conference and they're not good because of that are wrong. But 
it's really hard to win that the way the tournament is set up playing in the West Coast Conference. I think I think those things can both be said. Yeah, and, and certainly this Gonzaga team, they will continue to be in a top three seed scenario for the given future. The way they recruit, the way they're bringing in players, the way Mark Few develops players, that's going to happen consistently. But I think you're absolutely correct in that. This Gonzaga team, being in the West Coast Conference, it means that they're not getting those opportunities right up until the tournament. They can do all they want in the non-conference schedule. And they did everything they could in that non-conference schedule to give them as many tests as possible. But when it comes down to in March, those teams you play in November, they're not the same teams in March as far as form goes. And you're not the same team either half the time. So you really got to be considerate of that. And I do feel like this Gonzaga team is going to continue having problems when it comes to, to be the final four national championship game because of that. I think this program will continue to get to second weekends. I think they'll continue to thrive in second weekends of the NCAA tournament. It's just for the Twitter trolls, the idiots out there, it's all, it's all about the national championship. Because to, to those trolls out there, if they win a national championship, they're nothing, which they're, they're wrong. They're, they're ridiculous in that assessment. But, it, but it, unfortunately for the Gonzaga program and the reputation, that's, that's what you got to deal with. And, and, and I'm glad that some of these young recruits are seeing past all that. And for some of the elite ones deciding to go to Gonzaga uh, and go and play for Mark Few, because it's a program that is fantastic over there. It's just a shame what they have to deal with as far as the reputation from those that don't know a lot about college basketball. Uh, and one we'll, we'll final point about the Final Four and talk about the UCLA team. So since this is our first episode since, since that game, what a tournament for UCLA. I mean, I think that um, when we go to assess the all-time Cinderella stories, say what you want about this UCLA team being a Cinderella because there can be an argument made about this team, you know, not being the traditional Cinderella since the expectations were high to begin with. This team, the selection committee thought, did not even deserve a spot in the field of 64. They had to earn their way into the first round, and they took Gonzaga to the limit in the final four, which quite frankly, I think UCLA would have given Baylor a decent shot too. I still think Baylor would have won a match against UCLA, but I could him out. But I think UCLA would have given Baylor a very good game in the national title game as well. So all credit to UCLA. I think the Bruin stock, Mick Cronin stock for that Bruin position is just so astronomically high. UCLA to the moon. Yeah. Uh, you got to give a lot of credit to UCLA and they, they were right there with Gonzaga. And there were some people who said, and I, I thought this was a very valid take, that Gonzaga was unbeatable after that game because UCLA basically played a perfect game. And Gonzaga still beat them. And Johnny Juzang, Tiger Campbell, Jaime Hawkes, Cody Riley in the game, they deserve a lot of credit. Mick Cronin, I defended that hire. I thought it was a great hire. All the idiots who said that was a bad hire, I hope they feel dumb right now because – it's been it's been a masterful hire. He came into a program that you know hadn't necessarily been great at recruiting, and he brings in guys who were weren't his recruits, and he did wonders with them last year. After they finally developed and meshed, they're trending towards being a tournament team last year. We'll never know, of course. And then this year, they were a great team, and then they ended up getting hurt, and then struggling down the stretch, and then they really showed their true potential in the tournament, and they're gonna be a great team next year. Yeah, and before we transition to the coaching carousel of a transfer portal, I want to say something about these way too early top 25s that everyone wants to put out right now. 
uh, just stop. Stop. When you're in, and we're going to get you the transfer portal in a little bit in this program. When you have 1,200 players in the transfer portal, I don't want to hear a darn thing about any sort of way too early top 25s right now. Just stop. It could be any sort of way too early top 25 up there. Not only is it ridiculous, it is invalid right now. You have too much uncertainty in my mind. Nick Hodel hates fun. <laughs> but yeah, yes, you're right. There's a lot of things that are going to be changing in the, in the college basketball landscape. And yes, your point you're making is right. But that's not fun, Nick. We like to have fun. And uh, you hate fun. You know what? But like, but like there, there, there was a certain point in time where all this stuff was valid. When players actually came back for for years and you didn't and I mean and I'm not talking about uncertainty as far as draft eligibility from college players going back from draft eligibility. That is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about this mass exodus in the transfer portal. You have all these players shifting pieces all the time. And it's just like at this point in the year, I feel like not only is it way too early, it is almost inconceivable to me to try to put out any sort of top 25 right now. I mean, I mean, quite frankly, this is something that to, to me is more of a recent development with the transfer portal. I mean, when you have this many players in the portal, this amount of uncertainty, and then you add on top of that players in the draft eligibility and sort of the lenient process that that's developed there in the last several years. I just think it's ridiculous that we are talking about way too early top 25s right now. Yes, it's fun to, you know, talk about what it is at this point, but when you have this much uncertainty, that's all it is. It's all what is to me. I, I mean, I got to see a little more certainty before I start getting into that conversation, you know, maybe in like June, July, then I could see a way too early top 25 making sense. At this point, with this uncertainty, no, I think it's ridiculous. Uh, like I said, you're right, but let, let, let people have fun, Nick. Let them have fun. <laughs> uh, of course, that's just me. I'm, I'm sure all the higher-ups of the publications want those pieces written, but I mean, if, I mean, if they want to come to me for that, you're going to be talking to the wrong person, especially if this continues with the portal, which... Maybe not to the extent we're seeing this year because of the one-time win from the NCAA, but my golly, we're going to be seeing probably a thousand players in the portal year in, year out going forward for the next considerable amount of time. Uh, so let's move on from that subject to the talk about the coaching carousel. The last few days have been nuts in the carousel. All kinds of hires are being made left and right, starting off with Porter Moser going to Oklahoma. Fantastic hire. Uh, this is the, this this is one of the crown jewels in this year's coaching carousel. What Porter Moser did with Loyola Chicago the last several seasons, not just this year. Like that, this go this goes back to the Final Four run. The culture that he established at Loyola Chicago was was fantastic, and that this is a slam dunk guy for Oklahoma, which is only going to make the never ending gauntlet of the Big Twelve that much tougher. Right. Well, Oklahoma was the reason why it was tough this year because they kind of exceeded expectations, at least in the middle portion of, of the stretch. They, they definitely struggled down the final month of the season. But yeah, fantastic hire from Oklahoma. And congrats to Moser. Uh, he definitely deserved a promotion. And Loyola Chicago's basketball program will be forever changed because of what he did there. Yeah. And, and you talk about that Texas Oklahoma rivalry with two completely different staffs that are coming in. 
I think that's going to be fantastic. We'll talk about what Texas is doing with their staff in a little bit. Uh, first off, though, the news of North Carolina naming Hubert Davis as its new head basketball coach, filling in the almost unfillable shoes of Roy Williams. And it's he has the North Carolina pedigree. And he uh, this is a promotion from him from assistant to head. Very different sort of promotion to what Indiana did with Mike Woodson, plucking Woodson from the NBA. I think this is more of the college basketball prototypical hire to where you have someone on your staff that knows the North Carolina culture, has been in the culture for a long time, has an NBA experience, more of a college basketball coach in essence. This is that type of hire. And for North Carolina, I think it's going to be a really smooth transition. Right. Yeah, I think this was a good hire. And you kind of got the sense that Roy Williams was getting out of touch. And you and I had talked with our friends over at HeCheck, Gabe and Peyton. We were talking about how Chris Beard was a potential hire for for North Carolina. Of course, uh, right before that job opened up, uh, he ended up going to Texas, which, of course, we'll talk about in a little bit. And that that, of course, took that out uh, out of the window. But I think this is a great hire. You know, someone who knows the program, UNC has been a program that's been fairly consistent with their head coaches. I mean, Dean Smith was there for a while and then Roy Williams was also there for a while. So uh, they're, they're hoping they can get more consistency with Brown. And I think that getting someone who knows the program is a great idea. Yeah. I, I really do think that what, what that uh, situation in North Carolina is, it's going to be a really good situation. Uh, going back to the big 12, when Chris Beard left Texas tech, the question was where was Texas tech going to go? insert mark adams the associate head now head at texas tech and this is certainly someone that has has had quite a path uh was an assistant at little rock before going to texas tech and it seems like and it looks like now he is going to be the guy at texas tech another very similar hire and sort of systematically from assistant for in this case associate to head for texas tech Right. And there's no way that this hire is going to live up to what Chris Beard did. Like that, that's almost impossible. Unless they of course won a national championship, which Chris Beard was uh, one, one shot away from doing, but you know, getting a guy who knows what Chris Beard did, isn't going to try and replace Chris Beard. He's going to try and keep doing what Texas tech had been doing and keep that success going. And I think this is a fantastic hire and, I think Texas Tech will remain relevant in the Big 12 because Texas Tech is a program that, you know, hadn't been great before Beard came in. And they want to stay relevant. And, of course, this hire will help with that. Yeah, and let's continue to stay within the Big 12. And and I mentioned Texas earlier. Their staff is getting, I think, quite – they are composing their staff exceptionally well, I think. Um, And you have um, now just just earlier – just really early right before it went on um one of the um kansas uh, uh i believe assistant jared howard is going to be on chris beard's staff which just adds to uh, another piece of news from earlier today as of as of uh recording and that was going to be a utep head coach rodney terry joining chris beard's staff as an assistant at at texas this staff has come together quite frankly extremely quickly I think Texas is going to be much better off for trying to compose their staff very quickly. It's a decent little mix that they have going for themselves. I think it's well composed. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you can tell when a team is well coached and when a team isn't. And Texas, 
certainly fell under the category of not being well coached in the past couple of years. And that's going to change some things because Texas can obviously recruit. I mean, it, it's the University of Texas. I mean, it's a brand. It's not just a school. It's a brand. And it's one of the only few schools in the nation that can truly say that. I mean, Duke, North Carolina, that's probably it. And then Texas. And Texas is a little more like that for different reasons than what Duke and UNC are. And, you know, you got to be able to recruit the guys to go there and to have a big, strong coaching staff that's going to help develop players, I think, is a huge part of recruiting. And I think this is a great hire and great hires, I should say, for Texas. Yeah, and, and, and certainly just see this, a succession of fantastic business that the Texas Longhorns are doing. Uh, to move on from that, East Tennessee State hiring Desmond Oliver as its new head coach. ECSG had a, a little bit of a situation where a first-year coach decided to step down. Uh, definitely some uh, behind-the-curtain reasons for that. Uh, but Desmond, ha- or Desmond Oliver, I should say, at ETSU spent the last six seasons as assistant coach at Tennessee. Uh, certainly gonna certainly gonna be an, a, a new step for him. Yeah, ETSU, they've been a very solid program in the SoCon for the past couple of years. So they're definitely gonna need some uh, some good coaching here, and we'll see. Because like you mentioned, there was some stuff that went down within the program, uh, more off the court stuff. So gonna need uh, to jump ship and turn it around. Yeah, and, and certainly we uh, certainly hope that that is going to be the case there in that particular uh, move because you're right eat, eat, that that is a very good um, pro uh, program there for for a mid-major certainly think that they are going to be in a uh, a decent spot for themselves going forward moving on to Utah State Ryan Odom the new head coach there the UMBC coach UMBC's former coach and he was at the helm when UMBC became the first ever 16 seed away the game of the NCAA tournament in the first round. Yeah, uh, I think this is a pretty solid hire for Utah State and definitely worries me a little bit as an Aztecs fan. You know, I mean, you mentioned it. At UMBC brought that program to big heights and, of course, becoming one of America's favorite teams for, of course, knocking off a, a number one seed. And we'll see because Ryan Adam had done a good job at UMBC at UMBC, you know, it's tough when you take over a team in the American East. I mean, you're never going to make a big tournament run. That's just the way it is. But um, he consistently had them near the top of the conference, of course, winning it in 2019. And then I don't think they wanted in 20. I think that was Vermont. And then they, of course, got kind of screwed over by the, uh, the flawed format of the American East conference tournament. And they had a great year in 2021, so nothing can go against them in that aspect. But Odom did a good job at UMBC, and he's taking over a Utah State program that's on the rise. Yeah, and he's and certainly a big step for him going from the American East to the Mountain West and a Utah State program that, quite frankly, is ex- expects big things. So that is certainly going to be an interesting step for him in that regard. Back to Loyola Chicago. If Porter was going to Oklahoma, I think Loyola Chicago had to get this right. And Drew Valentine getting the position of head coach, I certainly think is the correct hire because you have to keep that culture intact, especially for a mid-major program. You lose that culture, then the only thing you'll get from it is is a little history in your program. You got to keep that culture and keep that sustainable. I think Loyola Chicago has done that here. Right, and 
I, I don't mean to like make this about San Diego State, but this kind of reminds me of when Dutcher took over at San Diego State when the head coach who came in and basically flipped the program around, made it a really good powerhouse in the mid-major that could make a run in the NCAA tournament like what Steve Fisher did, comparing that to Moser. Obviously, they're different coaches because Fisher was a coach at Michigan and coached the Fab Five, but it's a similar hire. you got to keep the culture, and I 100% agree with you. It's a fantastic hire. Valentine, he's going to stay there. He's going to keep that team because, if I recall, they only had two seniors on the team this year. And, I mean, I don't imagine that Crutwig or Richardson come back, but they were the two guys that were freshmen on the team that went to the Final Four. So those two pieces are gone. they got to keep the culture intact if they want to have more tournament success because, as we've seen, they're certainly capable. Yeah, and also these mid-major programs, they're certainly capable of having five, six years of fantastic success, and then they just move right on down to the mid-tier even bottom tier of the respective conferences. So getting that culture intact, was just it's, it's the probably the number one component of that hire to me. You you gotta keep intact what, what's working. Someone that knows the culture of what that program became, and I think that that was the perfect hire uh, for Leo Chicago in that respect. Moving on to DePaul, Tony Stubblefield is the hire for the DePaul Blue Demons. So spending he spent eleven years at Oregon, uh, one of the nation's top recruiters, generally regarded, uh, and. And certainly what Devil Stubblefield, Stubblefield did on the staff for Oregon helped, helped Oregon to 10 postseason appearances in the last 11 years, eight NCAA tournament first of those 10, a final four and lead eight, three other appearances in the second week of the NCAA tournament. Certainly someone that knows what success looks like. And for a program that quite frankly does not know what success looks like recently, I think that that is going to be a very critical uh, part of the job for someone like Stubblefield to get a program that doesn't know what success feels like to taste success. Yeah, I mean, DePaul's been a program that's struggled for quite some time here in the Big East. And for Stubblefield to come in, he's seen some success. You got to be able to come in and enforce winning habits. And that, of course, is important because the East, it's talented, had a bit of a down year, but some of those programs are always due for bounce backs. And I think you'll be seeing something similar there uh, because DePaul is certainly a key part of that conference. Yeah, and of course, the step up from assistant to head is always going to be challenging for anyone. Uh, but someone that knows what success looks like, probably going to try to emulate sort of something similar at DePaul. He's got to get the right players first to complete the tough big geese. If you don't have that, you have really nothing there. And then you just got to be able to coach your butt off and to get DePaul back to a decent level of standing in the big East conference, which I'm not going to lie, that's going to be a very tough task for him. But be able to get that job done, he is certainly going to be in a good spot there. San Jose State with Tim Miles as its new head coach. Generally, a lot of praise uh, for this particular hire. And it's a very interesting one since they, the Spartans really surged everywhere. And they came up with Miles, someone that um, really did a lot of work at Nebraska, did pretty well uh, in, in some particular years. Uh, certainly some years have not gone very well for Nebraska, but there have been a couple of years in particular to where Nebraska was pretty darn good. And for Tim Miles to be going to San Jose State, I think that is another very similar challenge. Take a program that, as far as the Mountain West is concerned, doesn't know what success is on a pretty consistent level and try to get them some level of success. Yeah, I mean, San Jose State's been, oh, we're just going to put it frankly, because I follow this conference very closely. 
a very bad basketball program for quite some time now. And we'll see if Smile can turn things around because it's been it's been bad. They've been they were they were bottom three hundred in Kempom this year, and it's been a rough going for San Jose State. And they're normally a program that has a couple of athletes in there just because San Jose State. It's not like the most unappealing school to go to, but they haven't been good in a very long time and they got to turn things around to one, help out the mountain West and two, keep that program afloat. Yes. And, and certainly that's your number one concern. Just keep that program running. I do think San Jose State will see some improvement uh, with Tim miles to the helm, but what kind of improvement is it going to be? I think that's the big question uh, for to, to Indiana. And this will lead into the transfer portal perfectly. Coach Dan Fife is added to the staff in Indiana. Tracy Jackson Davis has said he's going to be back. Christian Lander said he's going to be back. Well, Indiana is doing already convincing two of what I think could be your most talented players to come back. That's huge. That is yeah. absolutely huge. And I loved what Jackson Davis said because, I mean, from an outsider, you're like, dude, get, get out of this program. Like, get run away. Like, this is bad. You're good enough to go pro. You may not fit the uh, NBA prototype of a center, but you're talented enough to make it work. But what he said is, I, I don't want to run away when things are bad. And I, I love that personally, and I think that's awesome. And that's the type of player that IU needs. And, you know, I, I think that's awesome for him. It's awesome for IU. I'm sure you love that too. And I think that's certainly something that if you're an NBA team, you see that and you say, all right, that's a guy I want when he, when he does eventually want to leave because he wants to be here, whether it's the good or the bad. Yeah, and and certainly it's going to be some, uh, something to really keep an eye on. on. I mean, if they could get even more of their players that went to the portal to come back, Indiana will have pretty big expectations once again. And that'll be something that can those players handle it? I think that's a good question to ask. Can Mike Woodson handle it as we one as Indiana head coach? Since that, that program, that fan base, usually does not give a lot of slack. And I would certainly be interested to see where Mike Woodson goes these next couple of years and to see what and see how he does and how the fan base responds uh, to that performance will be very interesting. But that was sort of the, the uh, transition into the transfer portal. Uh, we'll get straight to it with uh, Justin Powell going from Auburn to Tennessee. Was part of a, uh, Auburn class that was pretty highly regarded in recruiting, was the lowest rated recruit in said class. Uh, but certainly was someone that when he did have some time, he was pretty solid. Yeah, definitely. And a great pickup for Tennessee uh, going with the, uh, the old Bruce Pearl route. Um, of course, got recruited by Bruce Pearl. Now he's going to Bruce Pearl's old school. Uh, I mean, that's just a little nugget there, but it's really interesting. And we'll see how this pays off for Tennessee. Yeah. And of course the, the old in-conference transfer, that is definitely going to be uh, something that will be very, very interesting um, going forward. Maryland, what they've done in the transfer portal recently has been very, very exceptional, getting several very pretty solid transfers uh, to, to add to their squad, which if you're going to be in the Big Ten, you got to have great players. And that is exactly what this team or this program is starting to do. Uh, Kudis Wahab is one of them going from Georgetown to Maryland. 
Yeah, and I, I thought this was a great hire. And I mean, when I when I realized when I recognize Maryland basketball, I think of big centers, and Wahab was certainly that for Georgetown. And I've seen Maryland on a lot of you know. Sorry to bring this up again, but the the way too early top twenty fives, and I think that's right. And I think Wahab is a big part of that because you know Turgeon knows how to coach these big centers, and they've got some good returning guards. I'm pretty sure I saw that. Uh, was it Ayala or was it? Wiggins that said he was going to go to the he was going to put his name in the draft and see see what happens from there but talented team that uh has seen some success and their best team was last year didn't get to go in the tournament but saw him as a six seed a couple years ago they were probably going to be a three or two seed uh last year and then they were a 10 seed this year and ended up beating a very good UConn team that I definitely did not have going to the final four um but they're, they're a talented program and Wahab is going to be a huge part of that yeah, and it's not just that for Maryland. They win the Fats Russell extravaganza. Yeah. That's huge. I mean, if you're going to be good in the Big Ten, that right there is a perfect step to doing so. Yeah, I mean, Fats Russell's been incredible throughout his college career, and there's just nothing around him at URI this uh, this past season. And I look forward to watching him play Power 5 college basketball. I think that's going to be awesome. All right, Power 6. I would say Power 5, but it's Power 6. Yeah, yeah, of course, very sim- very similar sort of things going on there. Power five, power six, depending on which board you follow. One of them is going to be very much ingrained uh, in the memory. Uh, another very uh, decent one, also Florida Chancellor Omar Payne to Illinois from the SEC to the Big Ten. Yep, ILL, baby. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how much I'm going to love this Illinois team after, uh, after IO. Io leaves. He declared for the draft today, and then Kofi. I mean, I, I'd imagine he goes. But I mean, that that last game left a lot of bad taste in uh in some people's mouths. But yeah, another good pickup for them. Uh, transfer portal hasn't been their thing as of late, but uh, getting talented players is never a bad thing. Yeah, and and, and really for every program, if the portal hasn't been your thing in the past, you better get used to it now because it is certainly part of the college basketball landscape. And I think it will be a part of the college basketball landscape forever. And certainly things like that are going to continue getting something crucial there. So we, so we move on to another one, Phil, another transfer, Cole Sweeter to Syracuse, going from Big East to ACC. Uh, and I, what, again, is going to be a, uh, an interesting opportunity for him. Right. Yeah. And Syracuse, they, they, they've always been a team that's been powerful in the, uh, the transfer portal. So no surprise to see him going here. Yeah. Not necessarily whatsoever. Niger Brooks from Miami to Ole Miss. Ole Miss adds a big man that they can certainly use. Uh, and of course, from the ACC to the SEC, anytime you get a power conference transfer to come to your program, that's a, usually a pretty big deal. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if Romello White stays for another year because that, that would make a pretty dynamic uh, big duo and almost would certainly be a tournament team, at least going into the season if that happens. Absolutely, and Jalen Cohn, the Virginia Tech chancellor, had a lot of attention on him, several suitors. He goes to Northern Arizona, which is very interesting. I was shocked when I saw that today, and I, I watched a little bit more VT basketball than most because that is, of course – where my father attended school. So uh, Cone was a solid player, and I'm frankly surprised that he ended up going to NAU and not somewhere bigger. 
Yeah, uh, this is a huge get for Northern Arizona in the Big Sky Conference. We'll, we'll see how far up it takes them at the pedestal in the conference, but you want to talk about getting an impact player figure team from the transfer portal, this is a practical home run for Northern Arizona. 100%. Yeah, that's a, it's a crucial one, especially when teams like Eastern Washington are losing players like Kim Aiken Jr. He is going to Arizona. That's a pretty solid get from what Aiken did with, with Eastern Washington this year. Yeah, and we're still waiting on Groves. Uh, obviously, that's the big-name player from Eastern Washington, but talented player for that team. Arizona, they've been big on the transfer portal, too. They've just been big on just getting players like Matt and not having them stay for too long because they realized that Arizona's a garbage basketball program. But, uh, yeah, this is a great pickup for them, getting a skilled college basketball player. Yeah, it is certainly going to be a big interesting to see what, what ends up uh, going there. Texas A&M saving on flag, transferring to Sam Houston State, another one of those power conference to mid-major transfers, uh, someone that played a pretty considerable role at Texas A&M over his several years with the Aggies, and he can certainly someone that steps up in the newly expanded Western Athletic Conference, and that's huge for Sam Houston State. When you go into a new conference, when you come in, when you, when you come in like that, you gotta have players immediately or chances are you probably will not end up having the best time of things straight off the bat in your new conference. Entering a player like Savion Flag, that quite frankly to me is a big piece they needed to get. Yeah, Sam Houston State was pretty solid this year. So them getting a power five player who's got some experience is certainly a good pickup for them. We move on to Kadari Richmond from Syracuse over to Satan Hall and another um, power conference to power conference uh, transfers, a team like Satan Hall having to uh, like Mike, a lot of teams nowadays are really having to almost gut the roster completely, nearly start from scratch necessarily with a few pieces here and there, especially in, in a year to where almost everyone is going to the transfer portal uh, Richmond only one year at Syracuse. So certainly a situation to where things are going to be very interesting here. Uh, not a, a very necessarily good track record of trips from Syracuse to Satan Hall. Last one that did that was a um, Tyrion Thompson who transferred to Detroit Mercy after his stick with Satan Hall. Whether this uh, ends up being uh, different, I think could definitely be uh, a nice bet on uh Richmond averaging 6.3 points per game as a freshman with uh, three assists through 28 games. Yeah, and for, for Seton Hall, I saw a lot of my friends who go to Syracuse. They were, they were saying Seton Hall got a great player. And I agree that they've been big on the transfer market uh, the past couple of years. I think Aiken was a transfer, and I think that uh, their big center that they got from, uh, from Georgetown is also a transfer. So they've been active there, and – they're, they're one of those teams that disappointed the Big East this year that needs to be better for, for that conference. Moving on to Josh. Josh Carlton, he is going to Houston. Uh, U, from UConn over to Houston. Uh, and, and Kelvin Sampson uh, really, really liked what he saw uh, in Carlton. Sampson, one of the first ones to reach out um, to Carlton. And certainly someone that can provide a, a nice, solid piece uh, that Houston 
quite frankly, needs, and that's a center. Right. And Houston, they, they ran like a smaller lineup with bigger guards. So for uh, for them to get a center is certainly huge for them. Yeah, and it's certainly going to be a, a, a very interesting thing to see how he ends up getting on. Xavier's Daniel Ramsey over to Tennessee Tech. Another one that going from a power conference over to a um, mid-major conference. And this is certainly going to be a, uh, a very interesting one. Um, one of the, uh, not necessarily the Cincinnati exodus, but another player from a, a Cincinnati school uh, that decided to go ahead and move on uh, to what could, could potentially be uh, some, some, uh, some greener pastures, perhaps. Yeah, and that, that's a pretty steep drop. But hey, got to do what you got to do, and we'll see how it pays off. Yeah, that is one of the uh, the newer ones um, to come to uh, come into uh, the, the the cycle. Uh, Javon Green is another one of those particular instances. Um, was at George Mason, uh, and Furball commits to say he is going over to South Florida at uh, a decision that was uh, uh, made as of late there. Yeah, I don't know what to make of that one. Yeah, and, uh, and it certainly is going to be, and they're going to be all kinds of transfers this year to where it is going to be a very similar case to that, not knowing of what to make. I, I certainly think that, that is going to be the case for all kinds of chances that, that we see over the course of the next week. Uh, so it's pretty much what you'll be hearing now as far as the portal news. It's going to be what we just went through today on the program, a big long list of portal announcements. And, and teams getting transfers. That's where we're at now. Because number, number now, believe it, over 1,200, 1,200 transfers. I can't imagine that it's going to get much higher than that. So you're so now we are essentially in the roster building phase of the offseason. This is not just a recruiting phase. This is a roster building phase. And to be a successful coach, you have to roster build. You have to build your roster from the portal, from the recruits. You got to attack it at every possible angle to get a cohesive roster. And we're going to see that over the course of the next several weeks, as we'll, uh, I'm sure we'll see all kinds of high-profile transfers uh, commit to schools right in the middle of our off-season series here coming up. Yeah, and I, I look forward to watching this unfold. It's certainly been very interesting uh, to follow and uh, I mean, it's bonkers how big this transfer portal is. And it's not going to be as big in the coming years just because of, you know, COVID giving the extra year of eligibility. But uh, it's becoming more of a part of, of college basketball, like you mentioned. And you're going to be seeing bigger numbers than what we've seen in the past, but not this big. I mean, this is truly something else. And I, I can't wait to watch this unfold over the coming weeks. Yeah. Quite frankly – Championships are going to be won in 2021-22, but what happens in the next several weeks in the transfer portal right now? Champ these next few weeks could very well win a school championship in, in your respective conference. So you got to do everything you can to make sure you're attacking the transfer portal and you find one or two guys that you like and you get after them. I think a championship at some conference next year is going to be won because of a play that commits 
to a school in the next few weeks via the transfer portal. I look forward to see what ends up happening with the portal over the course of these next few weeks. They're, the team's destinies are going to be uh, very much in an interesting spot uh, when we get into May. And I think we'll, we will know a lot more about what to expect next year after the end of April. I think that, and as I said earlier, right now there's so much uncertainty. We're going to find out a lot of certainties over the course of this next month. So that will take care of this College Basketball Bonanza edition. Over the next several weeks, keep an eye out for our off-season series content. Looking forward to recapping this past season over the course of the next several weeks with our in-depth analysis, you know, our top games or top individual performances of the year. And, of course, our big award show coming up very much in the near future. Who knows? And maybe the next episode will come out on your preferred podcast platform. For Dominic Stern, I'm Nicholas Sodell. Have a very, very good week. And we'll see you right back here on your preferred podcast platform for the next edition of The Bonanza.